Now, while Peter was puzzling over what the vision he had seen could signify, the men sent by Cornelius had learned where Simon's house was and approached the gate. So they ha- Peter hasn't really figured out what God was trying to say yet. He knows that God has said it's okay, but he hasn't figured out why. And, and like, really, I know Jesus well enough. This just can't be like I'm allowed to go to the buffet now. Like Christ died on the cross so I can go to the buffet and eat whatever I want. They called out to ask if Simon, known as Peter, was staying there as the guest. And while Peter was still thinking seriously about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are looking for you. But get up, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, because I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the person you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a righteous a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear a message from you. So Peter invited them and the, entertained them as guests. You almost have to wonder what Peter's thinking this moment. He just had this vision of this clean and unclean animals where God is opening everything up. And then all of a sudden, Cornelius, a Roman soldier, has sent his envoy towards Peter. And then all of a sudden they begin to describe Cornelius in the exact same way that the Roman centurion that was healed by Christ was described. And you know that everything that Jesus did was burned into the mind of Peter. I mean, he was revolutionary. He was upside down world. I mean, everything was burned in. And so you know he's thinking like, oh, deja vu. And then the blanket with the animals. And then he's got to make this journey up to the city. There's a lot of time to start like the Holy Spirit is going to work in Peter and start connecting dots and putting things together. On the next day, he got up and set out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So when Peter came in, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a mere mortal. Cornelius is a God-fearer, but that doesn't mean he has shaked all the years of his Greek thinking. It was not uncommon for the Greeks to think that humans could also be the embodiment of God, like Hercules and Perseus. It was not uncommon for the Greeks to think that angels could just walk among you. And now he's just seen an angel in a vision. It could be very much that he's not truly thinking that Peter as a human is God, but that Peter is another angelic, divine-like being who's coming to him. And so, remember, the heart is what matters. If the heart is right, God can correct all the other stuff really easily. So Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not an angel. I'm not a divine being. Okay, I'm just a mere human. God has not sent you another angel, if Peter had known about the first one. Peter continued talking with him, and he went in, and he found many people gathered together. Now, notice the anticipation. Cornelius, when he finds out that Peter's coming, he's like, I need to get every Gentile that I'm close to and I know here. Everybody. Everybody. This is like Pentecost 2.0. He said to them, you know that it is unlawful. So 
Peter continued talking with them, and he went in and he found many people gathered. And he said to them, You know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Yet God has shown me that I should call no person defiled or richly unclean. Do you know how offensive this would be? If somebody came, if I came to your house and you invited me in and you provided me this huge meal and all these guests, you invite all the people in the neighborhood and all your family because you wanted them to hear what I had to say. You wanted them to know me. And the first thing I say when I come to the door is, you, you know it's really jacked up that I'm hanging out with people like you. This is not godly in any kind of way. And you are so unclean. <laughs> like, what? right? Oh, Peter. Then you thought that sticking your foot in your mouth had completely gone away with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're like, no, it hasn't. But God came to me and kind of said, go ahead and hang out with those lower people. <laughs> like, right? And here I am. <laughs> God bless you all. Right? <laughs> like, that's so offensive. This violates every like custom of hospitality that there is in the Jewish and the Greek world. And Peter, it's almost like he just, in case there's any Jews hanging around and with earshot judging me for being with his people, I just want to speak out loud that I know that this is wrong. Don't judge me and condemn me and write me off. God told me to come here. Okay? That's, that's the impression I get that's happening here. This is so offensive. So offensive. Therefore, when you sent for me, I came without any objection, even though I'm kind of objecting in a passive-aggressive way right now. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago, at the very hour, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying in my house, and suddenly a man in shining clothing stood before me. And he said, Cornelius... Your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have been remembered before God. Therefore send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Therefore I sent for you at once, and you were kind enough to come. So now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to the everything that Yahweh, to the Lord, had commanded you to say to us. Now this is called command, command comply. Command comply is where God will give out a series of events and then somebody will repeat it all again. And you're like, well, when paper and scrolls was super expensive, like paying, putting a down payment on a car kind of expensive, and ink was so precious, why would you waste so much space just repeating the same thing again? Right? right? When God commits commands for building the tabernacle, it's five chapters. And then they build the tabernacle and he repeats every single detail in five more chapters. And you're like, okay, God, we got the point the first time. We could have just reread it, re-read it if we had to. But the idea is command and comply. Okay? When, when, when Abraham sends his servant to go find a wife for um, Isaac in chapter 25 of um, Genesis, and he finds Rebecca, and then he goes in and he tells the family and goes through the exact same thing all over again and a really long-winded thing you're like okay we could have just reread it if we didn't find the details there this is command comply and what it's showing is that one or two things or both at the same time one that what god commanded is being fulfilled by the people to the letter of the instructions everything was done exactly the way that god wanted it to be done therefore this thing is holy and blessed by god 
or it's showing that God was definitely at work here in this situation. Because by repeating the story again, he's emphasizing the importance of what is happening. Because repetition is the hallmark of Jewish literature. And this is what he's doing here. This is important. Pay attention. You see, a lot of times we might go back and reread something because many paragraphs later we realize, oh, I don't know if I caught all that. And sometimes we don't even realize we didn't catch it all until the next time we read through it. God knows how many weeks or months or years later. But by repeating it right now, God is forcing you to go back and reread it and say, this is important. Do not miss this. This is a significant moment in history. Then Peter started speaking. I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcome before him. Now this is a powerful statement. You know how I just kind of offended you all a few minutes ago? I now know that that's just dumb. Ridiculous. But the most important word right here in that first part of this statement is, I now know that God doesn't show favoritism. The Jews really truly believed that they were the favorites of God. They really truly believed it. God chose us and he didn't choose you. Nah, 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 nah. You're going to hell, we're not. They really truly believed it. I mean, right? The minute the Samaritans do anything that is not appropriate, the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth is, should we call down thunder to kill them? That's jacked up. And then he says this, but every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcome before him. It's all about faith. It's not ethnicity. It's not gender. It's not wealth. It's not intelligence. It's not social status. It's faith. The new covenant people of God are not the Israel. The Jews. The new covenant people of God is Israel, the people of faith. If Jesus is the ultimate Jew, who is not even 100% Jewish, in his lineage he has Rahab, a Canaanite, Ruth, a Moabite, Tamar, a Canaanite. He's not even 100% Jewish. He's Jew and Gentile. And if he is ultimate, true Israel, that did what only that Israel could not do, then he is Israel. And when he adopts Jews and Gentiles into him by faith, we are Israel. Now this isn't anti the Jewish people. God is done with them and walking away from them. That, that, that's, an, that's an, a jacked up misunderstanding theology. Okay, That completely misses the point that everybody by faith is a part of it. It's not that God doesn't want them to come back. I mean, Revelation is full of the Jews being there, okay? But it just means that the distinctions are not being made over whether you're biologically descended from Abraham, nor was it ever. It was never that way. It's just emphasized more than ever before. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John announced with respect to Jesus from Nazareth, that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. 
We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on the tree. But God raised him on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all people, but by us, the witnesses God had already chosen, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to warn them that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. About him all prophets testify that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter goes right into the gospel. At this point, he says, I finally get it, truly get it. And he goes right into the gospel. And this gospel message is almost the same as what he got at Pentecost, except without the Jewish history of how messed up they were and how they killed Jesus. That doesn't apply to Cornelius. And then he kind of goes into his credentials a little bit, that God, Jesus and his resurrection appeared to us, no one else but to us. And we were his witnesses. We were chosen by him to go out and preach. And that's not a I'm special and I'm above you every kind of way because very rarely the disciples or writers of the, 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 the Second Testament books ever give their credentials. But Peter is doing this in order to show and no one can question your faith when you accept Christ. Because I was chosen by Christ. I was a witness to Christ when no one else was. I was given authority. And God came to me in a vision. And I bring you the gospel. There's no question here. Other people, if Jimmy Joe down the, Jew down the street came to them, they might be able to say, well, it was him. He doesn't have many credentials. This is the same thing that John does in First John. He gives his credentials, but his credentials is, I have seen Jesus. I touched Jesus. I ate with Jesus. Because he's refuting people who say that Jesus wasn't really physical. And he only deals with the credentials that have to do with how he's going to refute the negative false heresy. That's the only time the disciples or the writers of the Bible ever give their credentials is when they know they're going to go head to head with false teaching that's going to question what just happened. It's the only time. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the message. God didn't wait for Peter's speech to be over with. Peter's like, and then, uh, and then the Spirit drops down on them. And the point is that God comes whenever He wants. And even if He's going to interrupt you, He will interrupt you. God probably realized in that moment they didn't need to hear more. They just needed the Spirit. Now, I don't mean they didn't need to hear more because we always need to hear more with our life. But in this moment, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. This shows you how deeply rooted this is. They probably were sitting there by Peter and like, there's no way. This is so not godly. Why are we even here? They can be God-fears, but they're never going to get the Spirit of God. This is deeply entrenched in them. I mean, Peter just got done insulting them and then saying that I believed I was his favorite all along. It's like the Jews had this bumper sticker probably on the back of their wagons and chariots that say, God loves you, but I'm his favorite, right? I mean, this is the way they view themselves. 
They were astonished, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, No one can withhold the water from these people to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit as we did. Can he? So he gave orders to have them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for several days. Remember, you cannot see the Holy Spirit. There is no proof and no evidence that the Holy Spirit has come into you in that moment. Except for the speaking of tongues. And we've seen that in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit never indwelled people ever in the First Testament. It always rested upon them. And it only came and rested upon priests, prophets, and kings. And, And you couldn't see it when it came down. So how do you make the whole world know that the Holy Spirit is now indwelling people and it's indwelling them regardless of whether a king, priest, prophet, regardless of gender, ethnicity, social status, finances, and intelligence? You physically demonstrate through the, the speaking in tongues. And I know I talked about this at length already, but I'm repeating it again because this is Pentecost 2.0. It's for the Gentiles. And every Jew, just like these Jews right here, just like Peter himself is thinking, they can't, this can't happen for them. I mean, we, we barely, barely were okay with the Hellenistic Jews. But not the Gentiles. Remember the Pharisees are like, thank God that I'm not a woman, a dog, or a Gentile in their prayers. They're, they're just, they, they're, they, this can't happen. And you get, they're like, I got the Holy Spirit. And they're like, yeah, whatever, you lying Gentiles. We all know that you're already liars. They've got to have the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues just like Pentecost. Now, some people have argued that it doesn't clearly state that they're speaking actual languages. And I already talked about this. I really, truly believe that you can speak in tongues without it being a foreign language and all that kind of stuff. I do believe there's lots of criteria around it and all that kind of stuff. But some people will say, well, because it doesn't say they're speaking in different languages, therefore they're not, and this is more the, 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 the angelic speaking in tongues. My argument to that is no, I don't believe so. And here's why. Not because I don't believe that that can happen. I don't believe it is happening here because it has to mimic Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 as closely as possible so that everybody knows that this is the same thing. The more different that it is, the more they can say, yeah, but look at the contrast. I think they're speaking in tongues in the exact same way that the disciples did at Pentecost. It has to be. Notice that they put their faith in God. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues and they were baptized. It's the exact same thing as Pentecost. I cannot argue 100% without a shadow of doubt that this is what's going on. But I do think that in a crucial moment of history where there's so many people who can say this is not the same thing, that God is going to mimic it in every single way. Are there speaking in tongues in the other way, prevalent through the church? Yeah, especially when we get to Corinthians. Does not um, Paul talk about the speaking in tongues of angels and needing interpreters and all that kind of stuff? Yes, and when was that happening? That was A.D. 55. So that was very, very, very close after Christ ascended into heaven. So they all got baptized. This is a large number, a large number of Gentiles. Cornelius was very well connected. I mean, you're a Roman soldier. You're well connected. And, when, and we're also in a debt-oriented culture. 
there's a good chance from just everything that I've read from that time period and read original documents from that time period that even though Cornelius may not fully be still involved in the debt culture and it's hard to know what level he's pulled himself out without just one statement beyond that. However, it's very likely that a lot of people came to his house when he invited them just because they think a debt culture. And if he's given to them in charity and he invites them, they might think, I have to go. Cornelius might not be thinking that, but they're thinking that because it doesn't matter what he has become, the culture has stayed the same. And so we're talking about a large number of Gentiles that are there and coming to Christ. There's going to be problems in the church with this. Just like these Jews were blown away by the fact that Gentiles could accept Christ, just like Peter himself was really kind of skeptical in the beginning. Imagine the people who weren't there. Imagine the Jews who did not get to witness this with their own eyes. What disbelief. I know. I'm a skeptic. I'm a cynic. I, that's my personality. I was born that way. I've been, my culture has shaped me. I am just doomed to be a skeptic and a cynic. I know that if somebody came and I was rooted in this way of thinking of the Jews, there's just no way I would believe. I, w I would need evidence. I would need evidence. 